So for those who don't know me, is, uh, my name's Mike, or Michael, um, and yeah, we, we live in Wellington in the Western Cape. Well, down the road, and you know where that is. <laughs> I was thinking, where am I now in the country? So, uh, and uh, yeah, and so we are the, the poorer cousin of Stellenbosch. <laughs> but you know, there are some good things that come from Wellington, and we thank God that at least, yeah. You know, that's where I'm um, uh, uh, presiding with my wife of 23 years. And my kids, um, all this is turning 21 tomorrow. So uh, I can call you children. It's like you could be my kids, I think most of you. Um, not all of you, hopefully. That'd be weird. Anyway. Um, and so I want to share with you this evening, and it's just been so wonderful being with you all, just seeing the passion that you carry for Jesus and the love that you have. And I know each of us, we're in very different places. We're in very different parts of our journey. Um, but what's important through this whole thing is that whether you're here and you're like a devoted follower of Jesus, or you're here and maybe you're looking in or you're not so sure and you're checking things out, the one distinctive of what makes us Christians is how we view Jesus is how we view him, is his role and his place in our lives. And that's really what I want to share with you this evening. Amen. I want to speak about looking to Jesus. And, you know, Christianity often can be regarded as a, a, a principles or way of life, but we forget that it's actually centered around a person. And it's centered around a person that often we've grown up with certain pictures and views and ideas about. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a, in a church environment where I walked into the church every Sunday and there was a, a, an image of Jesus always on the wall behind me. Well, in front of me, to the priest. Um, I grew up in the Catholic church. And this Jesus was a Jesus who was always on the cross, loaded and born, uh, you're carrying heavy with a sense of sin and of pain and of sadness. And I would look at this Jesus and part of me would have this picture of a Jesus that seemed to be always in that place, um, or else I had a picture of Jesus who was always very busy. And never had time for me because that's the way that I, I was brought up. Um, some of us have a picture of Jesus of almost like Guru Jesus, you know. He's like hippie Jesus. Uh, Jesus who walks around in a white robe and has a flower in his hand. It's like peace and love, man. Um, you know, and it's just like peace to the world. And he does bring peace, but not the kind of peace that, that Eastern religion promises. But we, we see him as this, some of us have a picture of Jesus as this kind of old guy in the sky, almost this genial geriatric, the sense of a person who, um, you know, is like a heavenly Father Christmas, who just gives us what we need. Yeah, he'll just be there for you all the time, you know. You can seriously offend him and sin against him, but he's always ho, 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 you know. Um, I never feel bad, you know, about you. We can have that view of Jesus. Some of us have been shaped with the view of Jesus from our culture. Um, some of us have been shaped from our, our media, if you've watched enough Jesus films or Jesus movies um, and different kinds of Jesus movies. We get shaped with the view of Jesus. And I think the concern that often that I want to give to you this evening is that we need to learn how to see Jesus rightly. And the only way we can do that is by going back to, to the scriptures. Because the scriptures, you know, we don't want to worship a God of our imagination or a God of our culture. We worship, sorry, hey guys, up there. I forgot you there. Um, <laughs> we worship a God of, of the Bible and what the Bible says. And sometimes this picture of God is uncomfortable for our, our modern sensibilities. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable for us. We read about this Jesus who often in the New Testament does things that we're not always very comfortable with. But um, we have to be true to what the scriptures say. 
in, in what it says. And so what I want to do is I actually want to look with you in the book of Revelation this evening. And uh, I'd like to take a bit of time and look at Revelation chapter 1 that deals with a picture of Jesus. And I want to bring out just three points, three aspects of, of just this risen Jesus. There's many more. And, and, and we're just scratching the surface of, of what the Bible says. But I want to give you three kind of pictures or angles just to show you how big this God is that we serve. And also how accessible He is. And I'd like us to start with Revelation 1 verse 1. And it says this. It says, um, in fact, before I read it, I want to say that this book, why was the book of Revelation written? It wasn't written so that we could peer into the future and know, you know, the meaning of all the end things that might be part of it. And often we read Revelation of like, what's going to happen, man, at the end, you know? And we read about it and we get caught up in all the symbols and the numerology and all that stuff. And we actually forget that the reason Revelation was written is that it was written to a group of Christians that were in trouble. And there were a group of believers, like you and I, they were living in a world that was hostile to Christianity, hostile to the faith. And, and that if you became a Christian, you were no friend of the world. You were swimming upstream to the culture of what the world was um, saying, what the world was doing, what the world was believing. And so John writes to them, that's why Revelation is written, is to give them a sense of security in the midst of persecution and in the midst of suffering. And he starts off and he says this, a revelation or the revelation of Jesus Christ, not from Jesus Christ, even though he did bring revelation, but of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants things that will soon take place. And the first thing I want to say is that the revelation that was given to the believers, this kind of peeling back of the curtain, was that they could see Jesus in the midst of their trouble and in the midst of a world that was shaking around them, that they could have a view of Jesus that was in charge. That was the Lord, um, not a small Jesus. And, you know, I heard someone once say that some, often we have pygmy Christians because we have a pygmy view of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, we have small Christians and we don't grow up into the things of God because we have a small view of Jesus. We don't see him for what he's really like and, and how magnificent and majestic he is in all his ways. And, um, and so I'd like to dive in and mention these three things, but I'd like us just to look at a portion of Scripture then further on in Revelation 1 from verse 9. And um, it says this, Revelation 1, 9, I'm going to read four or five verses and says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning... I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. I want to stop there. And what I'm going to do is just unpick a number of, unpack, sorry, a number of things dealing with, with some of these scriptures and, and some others I'm going to add on. And the first point that I want to make and give you kind of a, a, an aspect of Jesus 
is um, is the presence of Jesus. Amen. Is that this is something that the scriptures speak about? And what I mean by that is interesting. Is that when John has a revelation of Jesus, he has a revelation of him in a certain place. Where is he? Amongst the golden lampstands. He's not. In, he doesn't have a revelation of Christ in the wilderness, or you know, seated by the right hand of the Father. The first picture that he sees is of him. In and among the, the lampstands. What does that mean? What carries on later and it says that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so what happens is that Jesus is literally among his people. That's the first picture of where you find it. That God presences, presences himself among you and I. And that God loves to dwell with us. He actually makes his home among us. That's what he does. And, um, and this picture of this Jesus that is accessible to us. And, you know, and even when God came down in the form of, um, well, as, uh, well, when, let's just put this right because I'm going to go into heresy if I don't say this correctly. Because, you know, the Trinity is not God as one person revealing himself in three ways. That, that's heresy, right? And I almost said that. Um, God is three persons, yet one substance. So he reveals himself. He is God the Father. He is, and, and God the Father is separate from God the Son, and God the Son is separate from God the Spirit. They are equally God, and yet they are their own persons. Um, someone once said, if you try and understand the Trinity, you lose your mind. <laughs> if you deny the Trinity, you lose your faith. So, these are things that... Anyway, I'm not... <laughs> well, I've just been completely distracted. So... Jesus is among the, the lampstands, and here the lampstand in the Old Testament. Why does he use a picture of a lampstand? Like a lampstand, like what, what's the deal with that? And the book of Revelation often uses Old Testament imagery. It, it, it uses all this Old Testament imagery. If you read it, you see that there's all these symbols and pictures that go way back in the Old Testament, rooted in the Old Testament, from the imagination of the Old Testament. And this picture of a, of a candlestick came from the Old Testament tabernacle. That gave light into the tabernacle, into a dark place. And, you know, the church, if we look at the, the, the lampstand being the church, is that the church, therefore, is the light of the world. And it's covered in gold because it's saying that God is, that we are precious to him that lives among us. But, you know, when we think about God being among us, that's cool. You know, yeah, he's, he's among us. And even tonight, some of you, and I think we, most of us experience like, oh, God is in this house. Like, there's something of God. He's making his home among us. And you can only experience God, in a sense, in a way that you can't on your own. It's like you need the people of God to experience the presence of God. You, you can on your own, and we can meet God and see God on our own. But there's something that happens when we're among his people, and in a sense, among the lampstands, yeah. with Jesus. And there's certain things that he'll reveal to you that he can't on your own. And, you know, I've been saved now about 28 years and I thank God that when I got saved, that he saved me. I got saved out of the world. I was 17. But I got saved into a local church. He saved me into a body, a family, where the presence of God was, where Jesus was. And, you know, thank God for, for local church. It's one distinctive for us as Josh Jen is that we believe that God saves you into family. And the only way we get to know him we get to learn how to pray. We get to know how to grow into maturity. Is actually by watching brothers and sisters in the Lord that sometimes go before us. I remember when I was part of a little church in... Oh, back in the day. 
um, uh, this little church in Port Elizabeth. And, um, and I was part of this church where every Wednesday, the church had a prayer meeting. And there were like 15, 20 people that would gather to pray. And as a young student, I would go through every Wednesday. I just wanted to go and pray. And I learned how to pray by watching men and women of God who had served God for years, learning how to contend and learning how to pray and learning how to give thanks to God. And it shaped me. And the presence of Jesus, the way we become like Him, is being with His people. But you know, I think one thing when we think about the presence of Jesus, we often think about Jesus among the lampstands. Okay, this is all kind of a cool feeling. And, you know, we feel love and acceptance and peace. And that's part of it. And approval, which is true. We get our approval from God. But if if you look at the letters that are written to the seven churches afterwards, when Jesus writes to them, remember, he's dwelling among them. He's wanting to speak to them. He's wanting to lead them and, and grow them in their faith. Is five of the seven churches that he speaks to, he actually warns them and he corrects them. Five of the seven, he says to them, I have something against you. It's like, what? And sometimes this doesn't fit the picture of the Jesus that sometimes we know. You know, he's just kind of merciful to everyone. He is. But one of the signs of the presence of God in our lives, and this is something that I've realized for myself, is that God begins to point out sin and he begins to deal with things. Why does he do that? Well, in Hebrews, it says that God disciplines those that he loves. And a sign that you are marked with the presence of God is is because he's he's loving you enough to say, my daughter, my son, whom I love. There's this in your life that that I want to, yes, you're clothed with, you know, Jesus and you you accept it before God, but I want to work under the the clothing, so to speak. I'm going to come and deal with your character because there's parts of the way you are that actually hurt people. Or maybe it's not causing you to to flourish fully as I've called you to be. And God must be, and I don't know if you experience that, but I know I get convicted often of sin. And I'm thankful for that because like, yeah, it's a sign that the presence (laughs) of Jesus is with me. I'll share an example. Um, last weekend, and um, I wasn't a very good husband last weekend. Um, I just, I remember I had a busy week and came to the end of the week. And one of the things that my wife and I do is a Friday is, is our kind of our day off where we, we just spend the day together. And we have a chance to reconnect and, and catch up and, and chat. And that Friday, we had something on it and we didn't do that. And Saturday came along and the previous Friday we didn't connect and neither did we the previous Friday. And she was feeling pretty neglected. Of course, I didn't. I wasn't aware of it, like because we had spoken. You know, it wasn't like we were ignoring each other. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like all the guys are yeah, man. What's, like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> but my, but I, I, I had been neglecting my wife, and I'd been, um, and I wasn't listening to her. I, I hadn't been considering her, and I was just so I was overwhelmed with certain just issues in church, and, and you know, and in that place. I, my wife was just hurt, hurt by me. And there was something between us, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Like, I don't know what's wrong. I'm trying. I make you tea. I make you breakfast. I'll take out. You know, it's like... And, uh, and I realized, like, actually, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't listened to her. I haven't spent time with her. And I felt the Holy Spirit convict me on that. Like, it cut me to the heart. And, and it was the grace of God that he says, Mike, I want you to be a better husband. And so I had to repent. said, babe, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I actually neglected you. And the Lord had to put his finger on that thing because I'm not a good listener. I'm not very perceptive often. I'm task-driven. 
I, and, and I'm not good with, with that. And so I've had to learn how to do that. But where has the Holy Spirit been convicting you? you? What area in your life has He been maybe putting His finger on? And if there's none of that, if, if you're kind of going on blissfully and, you know, you know, and you're just like, oh, God loves me and I'm growing in the Lord, but you're never ever having the, the sword of the Spirit, so to speak, cutting you, convicting you, where is the presence of Jesus? Um, we need that. That's how we grow in our faith. The, you know, the goosebumps and the warm feelings, that secures us, but it doesn't grow us. Yeah. Um, what grows us is correction. True. Uh, is the discipline of the Lord. Because when things are hard and, and we learn how to get pruned, that's when you grow um, in Him. Um, anyway, I must move on. Um, yeah, I just want to actually just share a picture with you. You know, um, we, in our previous house we lived in, uh, my wife, Eddie, she's a gardener. She's got green fingers. She loves working in the garden. And we've got this tree in our property, on our property, that's a kumquat tree. And you know the little fruit, the kumquats? Delicious. It's like a um, citrus fruit. I'd never known what it was until we had this tree. And uh, this tree was bearing fruits. And, you know, it was, it was okay. But the time of year came along for us to prune the tree. And I thought that Eddie would kind of cut off a few, you know, here and there. I don't know, you prune the tree, you just cut it here and there. You know, you just cut some of the branches back and you, you leave some others. But she went all out. She took her shearers and she pruned that tree down. I felt sorry for the tree. It was this big, luscious, green-leaved, you know, branches everywhere. And she literally cut it right down to one, two, three, four, five. That was it. And I was like, man, the poor tree. And I remember thinking, like, you've killed the tree. Like, how will the tree ever bear fruit again? It's like, you, you're a horrible gardener. You've killed the tree. And, and I, I won't lie to you. It's like the season that came then for spring, bearing fruit, it was, you know, four or five months later, we had never experienced so much fruit on that tree sure. as we had before. Yeah. It, was, it was bursting with fruit. It was double the previous season. But there was a season of pain. There was a season of cutting. Sure. And, you know, when you feel the discipline of the Lord, when He's challenging you, or you feel like you're in a narrow space where you're giving things up and you're having to lay things down and die, don't be discouraged. It's actually a sign of Jesus Amen. among the lampstands. Christ with you. It's, it's Him speaking and leading you in, the, in, the ways, in His ways. Because He loves you. Amen. And He loves you so much that it's going to hurt. So let's look at the second one. So we find the presence of Jesus revealed. The second thing we find in Revelation is we find the power of Jesus. And it says here in 1 verse 13, again, among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. And it's interesting, it uses this, this phrase, like the Son of Man, and it's a reference to the book of Daniel, to the Messiah that comes where the Father gives him all authority and power and glory for him to rule over the nations. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a term that gets used to show that Jesus is Lord. Amen. And Jesus is God. That's really what's showing. And look, let's just read the scripture. No, I don't actually have it. Don't worry. In Daniel. Um, that he would rule the nations. And, and one of the things that it describes of Jesus, if we go on here in verse 14, it says of Jesus that this Jesus, the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And on your own, when you get a chance to read Daniel 7, go and look at what it says about the Father. That, and it's called the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is depicted as this being of great fiery holiness. It uses the word fire. And it says that his hair is kind of white like wool. Sure. It uses the same depiction of Jesus in Revelation 1. 
Can you see what John's trying to say here? That this is like Jesus is equal with the Father in every way. Not only that, in Revelation 1 verse 8, the Father, um, this is not Jesus, but this is the Father speaking. And he says this, I am the Alpha and I'm the Omega. Says the Lord God, who is and he was and he is to come, the Almighty. Um, and so it mentions a statement. But then in Revelation 22, Jesus himself makes exactly the same statement. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and he is and he is to come. In other words, Jesus has power because he's God. Yeah. Because we're in him. Man. He has power. And you know, sometimes we, we, we know those words. He is the Alpha and Omega. Um, some of you have sung that song. You know, he is the Alpha. I don't know if you know that song. And Omega. You know, we worship you, O Lord. You are worthy to be present. Amazing song. But what does it mean when it says he's the Alpha and Omega? Well, the Alpha was the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And the Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And what Jesus is saying here, and what God is saying firstly, and then what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am the A to the Z. I'm the beginning of the alphabet, and I'm the end of the alphabet. In other words, I go before you, and I go after you. That I will prepare the way for you, and I will make sure that, that everything that happens to you will be purposed by me, if you're in me. There's nothing outside of me that can happen to you without me knowing about it, and without me allowing it. That's why the Bible says we can give thanks in all circumstances. Because surely God is around us, is before us, is after us. He's the A to the Z. Amen. You might be the L. I'm the M. You might be the C. Whatever you are, you're still between A and Z. He's the A. He's the Z. He's before you. He's after you. That's the kind of God that we serve. Amen. While we were in worship, I was thinking of an old statement that I'd heard someone say once years ago. And it comes from Moses in the burning bush, where God appears to Moses. And God says to him, I am that I am. And Jesus actually says that in the New Testament. He uses those words to the Pharisees in John. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And it offended the Jews because it said, but you making yourself equal with God. And I heard someone once say that, that, that God is so great. I am that I am. It encompasses everything. Amen. In other words, that he's self-existent and he's all-powerful. There's nothing outside of him. Amen. And I heard someone once say that when God says, I am that I am, he's saying that I am that I am. And I will be to you whatever you need me to be, whenever you need me to be it. Sure. He said. In other words, God can do everything. Amen. He can meet you where you are. Amen. He can bring about the deliverance that you need. He Amen. can empower you to live a life in Him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in Him. And He's a God of power. And He can redeem you. And even if you're here and maybe you've experienced some kind of um, tragedy in your life. Where you struggle to accept the fact that as a Christian, like how can these things happen? Mm. Remember in Revelation, you had Christians that were dying for their faith. Sure. They were actually laying down their lives. They were spilling their blood for Christ. Sure. Sure. And in that place, He's still on the throne. Amen. And He can work it out. And the promise for you is because He's the A to the Z, His promise for us is He will work it out Amen. for our good. Even if it's tragedy, even if it's for evil, Genesis 50 says, God will work it out for your good. Sure. What was meant for evil, He will mean it for good. Amen. And if you know that Jesus is Lord, we have to believe that. You might not feel like it, but you have to believe it if He truly is Lord sure. and God.
That's the second one. And the third one that I want to share with you is, it's just a P, uh, is the pastoral heart of Jesus. And again in verse 13, it says, dressed with a robe and a golden sash wrapped around his chest. Now why, does, why, does it sh- why is there a revelation of Jesus with a sash around his chest? Because where else does the New Testament ever tell us about Jesus' dress code? Or Jesus' fashion sense? Do we, do we ever read of that? No. So there must be a reason why, you know, John is unpacking this. Why does he do that? What it does is he's using the language of an Old Testament priest, the imagery, the symbolism of an Old Testament priest. When an Old Testament priest, the high priest in Israel, would be dressed with a sash, when they would go into the temple with a sash around their chest. And what John is trying to say here is that Jesus is our priest. Amen. And now you can say, okay, that's cool. Like, what does that mean? You know, like, again, I grew up in the Catholic Church where the priest was the guy, um, as was said, uh, for those of you who maybe come out of the background, apologies if I offend you, but, you know, he was a father dressed up like a mother. And we called him father, but he was dressed with a long robe. Like, okay, anyway. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that didn't go down well. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, there's all these trappings of religion, but I had this idea of a priest as someone separated from us. He was so holy and separated. But the priest in the Old Testament times was nothing like that. The priest in Old Testament times was someone that taught the people, they instructed them, and they actually counseled them. They, they went in to support families and to pray for people. They really were, in a sense, the pastors and the elders that we would have today. They were the full-time workers, in a sense, in the congregation of Israel. And Jesus, in a sense, is probably the most wonderful pastor that you and I can ever have. And in fact, in 1 Peter 5, Peter's writing to a group of elders, or to the church, and then he singles out the elders, and he says to the elders, you know, you need to be shepherds of God's flock, and you need to serve willingly, and not under compulsion, and he uses all this language. And he says... And he carries on, he says, like Jesus, who is our chief shepherd. In other words, we're all shepherds, but there's a, there's a pastor, man. There's a shepherd that is above every other shepherd. Amen. And he will love you and take care of you and be kind towards you. Amen. And we have a picture of God that is kingly and he's kind. Amen. And how do we see this worked out? Because we see it worked out... Um, in verse 17, and I'd like us to look at verse 17, Revelation 1, 17. It says, When I saw him, this is John speaking, obviously, looking at Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. And I want to stop there. So John has this incredible vision, this experience of the risen Christ, one whose, whose face is shining like the sun, whose voice is like, you know, the sound of a waterfall. I mean, can you imagine this overwhelming sense? And John has the appropriate response. <laughs> he's like, just down on his face, man. He's like, he's down. God. It's like, there's no other way when you are experiencing the glory of God to that extent. And thank God that he didn't go like... Jesus, yeah, man, you could see me again, you know? Like, you look different from last time, or, you know? Or you kind of, and what, there was no inappropriate response that when he, he saw the glory of God, he fell face down. Sure. But what is amazing with this is because of the heart of Jesus, 
that is kind, even though he's God and powerful and, and, and he has feet like burnished bronze, which actually speak about the authority. Um, a bronze was the hardest metal in the ancient world, burnished bronze. And it spoke about him being able to conquer and crush his enemies sure. under his feet. This same Jesus is kind to John. Look what he says. It says, and he put his hand on his right shoulder saying, fear not. And remember, where is John at this point? John is on the ground. And so what does Jesus have to do? If John is on the ground, Jesus, there must be a sense of him having to get down and say, John, putting his hand on his shoulder, getting down to his level. How would he have got his hand on his shoulder? John, fear not. Fear not, I'm the first and the last. And you know, the wonderful thing I love about Jesus is that even though he could kind of, he could, he could speak in an instance and he could destroy you, but he loves you and he cherishes us and he delights in us. That there's a sense that he, um, the kindness and the gentleness of God is something that we don't always see much of today. Um, and yet we find this without Jesus. He responds. And you know, I want to say to you, just friends, that like if we posture ourselves rightly, like John did, you know, Jesus isn't going to come with a sword. He will if we posture ourselves in arrogance and pride. But if we posture ourselves in a sense that our heart's posture is face down before the Lord, like you are this God. You are who you say you are. Believe it by faith, even though we don't see it like John did. But if we posture ourselves, his response, in a sense, is he puts his hand on our, on our shoulder and he speaks identity of us. Amen. You're my daughter, you're my son. Amen. And we have it in Jesus already. The day you got saved, he spoke identity over you. But like Jacob, when Rachel gave birth to a little baby, um, she called it, and, and she died in childbirth in the Old Testament. And as she's dying in childbirth, giving birth to this baby boy, she calls him, Ah, Ben Oni, son of my suffering. And she dies with this little little boy. And as Jacob takes this little boy into his arms, he says, no, 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 you're not going to be called son of my suffering. And he renames him Benjamin, which is son of my right hand. He speaks identity. You know, there's something of a heavenly father that when you're in the sun, what does he do? He speaks identity over you. You're the son of my right hand. You're the one in whom I love. You're the one, not because you've done anything. I mean, Jesus was called that before he did any miracles. He was just kind of, went for a swim, came out of the Jordan River. He didn't go for a swim, he got baptized. <laughs> he hadn't done any miracles. I mean, he had, and yet he gets called, oh. And you know, you don't have to do things for God to feel that way about you. You've got to just find yourself trusting in the person of Jesus. Man. Lord, I'm leaning on you. I realize that all my sin is put upon you. You didn't count it against me. Sure. What kindness is there in God that he would do that towards yeah. us? How kind is our God, but yet how kingly is He? What a Lord is He, but yet He's so loving. He's both and, not either or. Um, I know a journalist once asked Carl Barth, a um, very famous theologian. I don't don't know if this story is true. I think it is. And they asked him, um, I've got his commentary on Romans, but Carl Barth, they asked him once, you know, Carl, out of all your, Professor Barth, out of all your years of learning, out of all your years of studying, what is the what is the one truth that you have learned that, in a sense, you know, trumps all the other truths? What's the one thing that you can share with us? And this is what he said. So this is the truth that I've learned. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells Amen. me so. Amen. Amen. He knew God loved him. Amen. 
he knew this this lord of all who loved him amen and so i want to encourage you to that tonight Beautiful. you've got a god who's for you yes. oh he loves you he loves you yes. and he loves you so much sometimes it's going to be painful but he's committed to your growth he's among us he's working in us and i want to urge you tonight that if you are not right with god please don't delay i know there was a call made earlier please i want to urge you in jesus like if god is god and you're not serving him you're in big trouble <laughs> if the bible is true and you're not serving him and it says what it says you're in trouble i i believe it um, i really believe it i mean like we really believe this stuff you know that's why you like you really believe this stuff yeah man that's why we worship god you know people look at us like what like yeah we really believe the bible you know so i want to end with this a story as well and um then i'll pray for us as we close and it's a story of a um an indian um sheik who ended up getting saved and his name was uh, he, he became a very well-known figure very controversial figure in india sadhu sundar singh some of you might have heard the story before if you have um apologies but he was this, um born into an affluent sikh family in india and he grew up to hate christianity hated christianity and he saw it as a foreign religion and at the age of 15 he publicly burned the bible page by page ripping it out he was hostile to the faith he hated christians but a few days later he was radically converted by a vision of jesus and he was determined to become a preacher later on he went to a hindu college to witness and one of the lecturers got very aggressive towards him and demanded from him what he had found in christianity that was not in his old religion and his reply was well i have christ <laughs> yes i know replied the lecturer impatiently but what particular doctrine or principle have you found that you did not have before the particular thing i found said singh is i found christ that's what he said and you know our boast at the end of the day is our distinctive is that we 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 the jesus people we the followers of jesus that's what the word christian means it means the people of jesus the jesus people right you know we're not the in the old days you had guys called the herodians they were the herod's people you know some of us might be i don't know you followers of i don't know what what you guys follow these days um <laughs> you know we can follow we can be uh, anyway that felt like <laughs> <laughs> but we are the Jesus people. We're the people of and as God is birthing something in 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 Stellenbosch, as I can people come to the meetings, as they meet with you, as they see you, it's like there's a sense that they see but what is this God that you serve? That that we marked by him. And that defines everything else we do, what we believe and what we stand for. And so I'd like to pray for us as we close just as we do that. And before I do, I want to ask just with every eye open that if you are here and, and maybe you haven't responded to Christ and you if you're honest you are, have I, I know we've done this but I just there might be one person here yeah, that it. needs to respond and you've been walking 180 degrees that way living your own life rebelling from God knowing that you're living for yourself but knowing that God is after you and you know that the path is that way is that following Jesus is that direction and you know he's calling you and you know tonight that he's putting his finger on you saying this far and no further i've called you come and follow me and you know that he's calling you to turn away from your old life that's what repent means and to put your trust in jesus christ as your lord and savior 
but you've been running away. Is there anyone like that tonight? And tonight you want, you want to make, you want to say, but God, tonight it stops. Right. I'm going to turn around. I'm sick of running. I know you're calling me. Is there anyone tonight? Just quickly raise your hand. Is there anyone like that tonight? You want to make a response to Jesus Christ, to follow this God that we read about. Is there anyone that hasn't done that? I'm not going to pressurize you. Or it's God that must awaken something Amen. in you. But maybe there's someone here. Is there anyone here that you have not done that? And you know that tonight, in a sense, the hound of heaven is after you. Mm. And he's caught up with you. Mm. Okay. Wonderful. Let's pray. Oh God, we want to thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you love us in spite of ourselves. Lord, that you've loved us at our worst. And you have saved us and you have covered us even at our worst. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us in spite of all our eccentricities, our, um, our failures, our sins, and you cover over us. And Father, we come before you tonight. We want to grow in you. We want to become more like you. We want to become from immature to mature. We want to grow and we want to learn how to pursue you. Even if we stumble along the way and we might take a few steps forward and maybe some back times, God, we say tonight, give us a fresh vision of you. That we want to lay our lives down, like Romans 12 says, and we want to put it on the altar as a living sacrifice. But we want to do it in view of your mercy, as it says in Romans 12, in view of God. And Lord, this, this evening we come and we want to run our race, as it says in Hebrews 12, with perseverance, looking unto Jesus. And Lord, maybe for some this evening that have taken their eyes off Jesus... And they've put it on themselves or they've, they've got into some kind of mode where they've lost sight of you, Lord. Would you tonight again awaken a fresh desire in them to savor Jesus and to uh, delight in the Son and to trust in the Son. Lord, we all have something we can grow into. Yes. Father, come and stir that in us, we pray. Yes. Lord, awaken in us. Give us a mind to, to understand greater glimpses of who you are. That as we read your word, that we'd be shaped. That, Lord, even if some here tonight have got a wrong picture of Jesus, Lord, would you pull that thing down in Jesus' name? I want to say to you, would you just say, Lord, I, I've had a wrong view of you. I'm sorry. Oh, God, would you come and reveal yourself rightly? In Jesus' name. Would you do that, oh, God? We thank you for what you've done tonight. We thank you for the ministry. Thank you for the word. And we're grateful to be the Jesus people. Yes. To know this kind of Jesus that is risen from the dead, that we walk on resurrected ground, and we walk in victory, and we are those who overcome. Father, help your people to overcome. Help every student, help every working person here, wherever they find themselves, like the book in, in Revelation, the letters. But if you overcome, I'll give you a new name. Oh, on that day, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. He promises it to you. But if you overcome, help us to stand firm until the end. Faith in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.